You dyeing your hair? It's no. looking darker than normal. It does actually look quite dark. I think it's just yeah. light in here. I think it's quite chestnutty looking. I'm jealous. You guys have better hair than I do. <laughs> hey, you know, get... <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of napalm in the morning. is an extraction. So who the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Hello and welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. This isn't the voice of your ever lovely Simi. This is the voice of John. We are still trying this out, taking it in turns to host and this time it is myself. Fortunately for you, dear listener, we do still have the full complement, both Thomas and Mary Ann here. Mary, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm actually enjoying the sunshine. Um, I go back to work on Thursday after a month off, and part of me is like, ah, but it's still warm outside. <laughs> Could you give me another couple of weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thomas, and how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm still uh, enjoying this coup against me, and... I'm just accepting it like a total cuck. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about the 2020 film Extraction, which recently debuted on Netflix. I believe it came out on the 24th of April. The film is directed by Sam Hargrave in his feature debut. He's a former stunt coordinator within the MCU and it stars Chris Hemsworth, written by Joe Russo, and it comes from a graphic novel by Andy Parks. The film has been a massive success for Netflix and for Hemsworth and everybody else involved. The basic plot of it is Hemsworth plays Tyler Rake. He's a mercenary and a former SES soldier in Australia who is contracted to steal back a boy who has been kidnapped. The boy himself is involved in a struggle between two rival drug lords, one in Delhi and the other one in Dakar. In order to get the boy, he finds things are a lot more complicated than they were to begin with. And basically all kicks off from there. Thomas, what did you think of the film? I thought the film was okay. There was a lot more hype around this one. I feel there has been with a lot of Netflix films. The most hype obviously been the, the Irishman Judy, who directed it and who was starring in it. Most Netflix films for me have really underperformed. I don't know what it is about the platform. I don't know, just something about Netflix films I feel have been kind of underwhelming as a, as a whole and I don't get excited when a new Netflix film comes out, regardless who's in it. But this one was getting a lot of hype. So I am a bit higher expectation. I've seen some clips of that, the fight scenes, and I thought, yeah, this isn't the kind of film I thought it was going to be. I didn't expect it to be this kind of action epic, so I'm quite looking forward to it. And I was enjoying it for the most part, but as much as I was enjoying the action, 
it started getting repetitive to the point that it lost its impact. The midway point had this real low. I don't think the drama was strong enough to really carry those elements. Then we go back to the action, it was stronger, but I didn't really care <laughs> at that point about the characters, who was going to live, who was going to die. And I found the film pretty average, but could have done about maybe 15 minutes cut off it. Action was good, I did enjoy the action. Like I said, it was just kind of a bit stale after a while. Yeah, it was, it was okay. It passed a couple of hours, but it wasn't something I would really rave about. I enjoyed it. Um, as something that's a wee bit kind of, you know, mindless violence. I think it's really well shot. Um, and I think that you can clearly see Sam Hargreaves' passion for really well executed fight sequences or kind of big dramatic stunts. That's quite prevalent throughout. Um, I do agree with Thomas, the plot is a little thin on the ground and for me it was nothing that I hadn't really seen before you know in terms of this sort of you know taciturn action hero and a, a kind of rescue plot but at the same time I thought Hemsworth you know proved that he's you know a, every inch the kind of plausible action hero um, and I thought that the kind of body count was kind of ridiculous and sort of over the top but I thought that's what made it quite in, enjoyable I, I don't think I'm maybe as negative about it because I actually kind of the hype sort of bypassed me actually. Um, it was only because you guys had mentioned it that I thought I'd give it a watch. But I, I mean, I thought it was okay. I did, I did enjoy it. Yeah, pretty much agree with both of you. I did the review for the site and I pretty much covered everything that you guys have said. In terms of the story, yes, it was fairly weak. There was a lot of cliched moments in there, especially with regards to the main character and his motivations for doing what he does. Basically, he's got some sort of a death wish, almost for parts of the film. And the lull halfway through, you can basically look at that as being sort of an exposition dump as well. You were given tease, various teasers for his state of mind and why he was doing things with blurry scenes on the beach that he was visualising in his mind. And then he had a conversation with another character where everything was just basically laid out and it was so clunky. It was just awful. Now, this is this was in between a couple of big action sequences and it just... It, they just dropped completely in terms of the, the the entertainment value because of that. And when it started up again, it never really picked up from there. This is another one of these films for me that kind of peaked a wee bit too early. There's uh, an action scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a couple of minutes' time, where it really does peak, and then everything after that is pretty much more of the same which is a little unfortunate. I agree with you in terms of Hemsworth. He comes across really well. I felt that the rest of the cast were woefully underused. They didn't seem to be there for any other reason rather than to be kicked, punched, stabbed, hit by cars, or just to move the plot along. There wasn't really any involvement uh, with the Hemsworth character at all which I felt was a bit of a shame. They could have spent a wee bit of time doing that rather than having another uh, fight scene, which was a little unnecessary. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I actually thought that the David K. Harbour, like, I mean, I really love him in, in Stranger Things, but I thought he came across a little, like, wooden or just, like, sort of, I don't know if he was, you know, chewing the sceneries maybe a wee bit unfair, but I felt his 
I, I was kind of like, oh, where did that performance come from? It just didn't kind of match everything else. And I get that, you know, that was a kind of plot device of, you know, throwing in some extra uh, curveballs or issues for um, Chris Hemsworth's character. But I just felt like that those kind of scenes with the two of them together were really clunky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of feel that way with a lot of Netflix, not a lot of Netflix series, but Netflix series or on-demand series where they'll hook you in with this really explosive opening and then it'll get dull for a while and then we'll try and capture interest again then you could argue most films or most things really follow that plot but something i really noticed specifically with on-demand series compared to a weekly series which says here's a reason to tune next week on demand they can get away with throwing a lot more filler episodes in between because you're likely sitting binge it in the one go yeah, you'll forgive the crap episode because you're like, oh, the next one will be better. Yeah, you're not having to wait a week for it. You can just enjoy it for 40 minutes to an hour and get on to the next one. And I kind of felt this done something similar when it got to that scene with David Harbour and Chris Hemsworth. Again, I think Chris Hemsworth is excellent in this film. I think he's really good as a kind of leading man action hero. He's a good actor. So he's not just this big muscle-bound uh, killer. Working through the film, he, has, he is a good actor, and I think he does do well here. David Harbour's a good actor, as you say. I don't think he's very good, particularly in this. I think that's more of the context of the scene and what he had to work with. But when all that kind of came ahead, it was just flung in, as you were saying, just exposition for the sake of exposition. It's like, we have to explain everything here. So we don't want to get a break from the action for too long in case people turn off. So we'll just pick a 20-minute segment, cram it all in there, then get back to stuff where you could have cut that whole scene out and explained the plot and the motivations just through those bloody flashbacks, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. it was just sort of nailing it down when you didn't really need it at all. They, a lot of films do one or the other. They either have the exposition scene or they have the, the vague mm-hmm. flashbacks. This one, Cake and Eat It kind of style, did both. And unfortunately, it didn't work. It kind of showed up the the on-screen relationship between uh, Hemsworth character and the boy that wasn't really there. They'd been through quite a lot already by that point, so you would have expected them to have some sort of connection, but that whole scene just had nothing to it. It was a, it was a real shame. I think that's kind of one of the things with the film, as you were saying, John, it's got, it's, got, it's got its cliches, it's got its action hero kind of tropes. That's fine. I like films that do that. I also like films that are honest with what they are, like the John Wick franchise, uh, even American Assassin, which isn't a great movie. It's a great action film because it just doesn't care. It yeah. gives you a motivation at the beginning of the movie. Okay, this guy wants to take down all these terrorists because his wife was gunned down. Boom, there's your motivation. And then just have some mindless action for about an hour and a half. With here, it was almost like, yeah, we've got this action movie, but we want to try and make it something more. Yeah, and as as John said, like despite the the flashbacks that Chris Hemsworth's characters having about that obviously allude to, you know, his his previous life or whatever you want to call it, there was no real connection between him and the young boy he set out to save. I never felt like there was that kind of like fatherly way towards him it was just like this is another job he needs to get it done and get it complete and that's fine if that's the route that you want to go down with that character like they're just a sort of lean mean killing machine for want of a better phrase but they were kind of alluding to something more and it just never quite materialized through either the acting or the, the script i'm not really sure what what's to blame i think we can without 
going into any sort of spoilers, we can talk about the centerpiece of the film. It's a, an 11 minute seemingly single shot sequence where Tyler is trying to escape with the boy and it's quite electrifying. I, I was thoroughly impressed by it. Now I saw an interview with the director and he was saying how they had worked on this for months and months. It took something like 10 days to shoot the sequence and everything. And they were so pleased with it. And then just after they had finished, he went to see, he went to the cinema and saw 1917 and basically just slapped his head and thought, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but for what it is, I think it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking. And it, it really shows the, the care and attention that stunt coordinators pay to their craft and the ideas that were on screen it, what, it didn't seem to repeat itself during that sequence, it was just so much happening in it and it was inventive the way that the camera followed the action without being samey at all I was totally blown away by it, I thought it was great I thought it was a great scene uh, I, I knew about the scene before I watched the movie so I was kind of waiting for it and when it kicked off about a minute into it, and yeah, this, this is going to be a sequence. I didn't expect it to be as long as it was, and yeah, I mean, I, I can't take a bit. I can't take the the action it seems away from this film. Sam Hargreaves does a great job in directing the action, and it looks incredible. And maybe, as you're saying, maybe if this film was released in the cinema, sometimes a film does suit the cinema better. It does. There's no denying it. You know, it's like yeah, you can sit in the house and you have distractions and stuff. But you're in a cinema. Maybe I was romanticising it, especially because I've not been in about two months, but a film with this to watch on the big screen and see that kind of the action sequences and this one cut and the sound and all that, I think it'd be a lot more hard-titting and a lot more effectful. Again, I don't think I'd have done the slower scenes any favour in that regard. I may have highlighted them even more so, but yeah, that, that scene was absolutely excellent. That was, that was incredibly well done. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. And what I loved about it is, and I remarked upon this when we were watching it, is you could tell the director was a stunt person because it's one of the first films I've ever seen where when people got injured, whether that was, you know, stabbed, shot, whatever, they actually reacted. It wasn't like somebody had been shot six times and they just kept walking or running and, you know, like causing chaos. Like people actually reacted as if they had been injured, which I thought was really realistic and added to the sort of overall chaos of the scene because there were people, you know, sort of bodies flying everywhere sort of thing. Um, it was really tense, like the fact that you could see that everybody was really sweaty because it's a kind of windowless room and you can tell that the sun is absolutely baking outside and it just it felt really gritty and really real and as I say because people were actually reacting to whatever violence had been inflicted upon them like that made it feel a lot more realistic for me as well um, and it absolutely flew in I didn't realize that was 11 minutes long it kind of it flew in it was really entertaining that's the kind of you know hook you and grab you on the edge of your seat and make you want to watch more I thought it was really, really excellent. And actually, as I say, for once, I didn't mind the sort of shaky cam kind of thing because I felt it really added to the, the overall scene. This film has been a massive success for Netflix. It was the number one film on the platform as soon as it came out. A lot of it was due to the fact that the star and the people behind it, and there was obviously a certain element of the fact that it had, <laughs> it had a particularly captive audience as well. Now, on the back of that, it's heading to be the top viewed film on Netflix in its history and because of that there is going to be 
a sequel, apparently. Now, obviously, details are very scant about what that will actually involve, and we wouldn't like to give anybody any spoilers about what actually happens in the final third of the film. But in sort of general terms, what do you guys think about that? Do you think it's something that can be expanded on or it's worth telling the story either again or in a slightly different way with different characters, maybe? Is there enough there? I think it maybe depends on what they do. Because maybe, I don't know if it's going to be a a backstory to Chris Hemsworth's character or... Basically, I don't know, would they keep making sequels of him going on a different mission every time? I'm not sure. As I, as I said earlier, as much as I did enjoy this and the sort of mindless violence of it all, the plot was very, very thin on the ground. Um, and it's and it's not something that I haven't seen sort of, and I've seen it executed better. So I'm not sure that I'd be, like, I'd probably watch it, but I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. Like, if it did appear in the cinemas, I probably wouldn't. I'd, I'd wait till it was on Netflix or something. <sighs> <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think this film kind of really merited a sequel when it finished. Mm. Personally, I mean, I, I, I just couldn't see where else really to go with it, apart from... Uh, no, I was going to say something that was quite spoilery, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. I can, I can think of somewhere it can go, uh, but it would... Whereas it's the kind of film I would like, I think it'd be the mindless, stupid action sequel that they would try and avoid based on the kind of merit they try to give this by injecting it with the kind of the emotional attachment mm-hmm. where it worked or not so that it's very subjective almost in the kind of way the, the way London has fallen is to Olympus has fallen London mm. has fallen is basically a very dumb stupid version <laughs> of the previous movie are you saying that Olympus has fallen with some sort of intellectual masterpiece by comparison to London, as well. <laughs> yes, I would say it is, and I liked it. I thought it was quite good, but it's—I mean, that is what it is. And I think again, I can't say anything could be spoilery, but I can just see them maybe going after someone that didn't die in this one. Yeah, I thought that uh, the character of Nick Can, who was the sort of the point person for the organisation that Tyler worked for, I think having a look into her character a wee bit more. She had a bit more depth than some of the other characters on screen. There's a wee bit more about her. She had a bit of a, a real sort of action hero vibe as well. I'd like to see a wee bit more of her. I think that would probably be a good shout. And maybe even if you're going if you're going to go back the way instead of forwards, you could have a look at the David Harbour character as well in a wee bit more depth because there was a reason why he wasn't picked in the first place to actually carry out the assignment. They kind of brush over it, saying, no, he's not available. But he was obviously there, and there was obviously a reason why he wasn't involved. So there's obviously options there for them. I mean, there is scope. We could also uh, focus on uh, Randy Puda's character. Uh, is it Sadio? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, don't I've got too many spoilers regarding this character, but it was a lot kind of... It was interesting ways they took that. I, again, unless they just turn up to 11 and go a bit crazy which I'm all for So, would you guys recommend this film? I would have probably enjoyed it more as I'd seen it in the cinema especially the action sequences they were really cinematic in that aspect they were very, very well done it was okay if somebody said to me would you recommend it I would say yeah, as well it's a decent action movie 
I don't see me watching it again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would. I, I enjoyed the action. As I say, the plot's a bit thin on the ground, but you're not really there for the plot, are you? You're there for the body count. So, as I say, it has been executed sort of better in maybe like the John Wick films or whatever, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Chris Hemsworth's all sweaty. Yeah, what's not to love? <laughs> yep, pretty much the same. As I said in the review, it's a decent movie. It was enjoyable to watch it, but yeah, I don't know if I'd go back and watch it again. Might, if they do have a sequel, just to watch it, just to get a wee bit more background to it, to try and figure out if there's any sort of linkage between it, but you just never know what these films are going to be like, do you? Oh, I mean, that's the thing. I'm a total mark. I mean, I, I will definitely watch a sequel. <laughs> I, know, I know I would. I know I would. Uh, I'm actually quite interested to check out the graphic novel that it's based on as well. Yeah. Just a curiosity. That kid is a walking corpse. And there's no way to protect him. You have a family? Yeah, son. He died a few years ago. On the back of our review, as you know, we like to do a top three. This time, we are going to do a top three on kidnap and abduction films, which gives us plenty of scope for uh, our picks. Up first, I believe, this time in the, the running order is Thomas. What's your first go? I thought about this one long and hard, as you can imagine. Uh, try to pick a movie with a franchise attached to it, as I tend to do. But <laughs> I have went with From Dusk Till Dawn, released in 1996, directed by Robert Rodriguez, a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino with an original story by Robert Kurtzman, starring Harvey Keitel, George Quinney, Quentin Tarantino himself, and Joey Lewis, and Sam Hayek, to name a few. This movie is so balls-to-the-wall mental that it starts off to badass gangsters just doing what they do. And the second half is a psychotic, over-the-top, maniacal vampire movie. It does have a heavy kidnap element to it as the two gecko brothers, Seth and Richie, played by Clooney and Tarantino, they kidnap Harry Cattell and his family and use them as hostages to get across the border and stake out at a strip club, which they don't realise is run by vampires. You get some Stockholm Syndrome kick in later when they realise, eh, maybe not so much that these guys aren't too so bad, but they actually need to team up with them to fight against a bigger threat. And as much as it's a vampire movie and all sorts, the, the kidnap element of it is really strong because without that plot, nothing moves forward. And you get these really interesting dynamics, specifically between... Clooney's character and Harvey Keitel's a washed-up preacher who lost his faith, and it makes for some incredible tense scenes that are just really captivating and brilliant to watch. And then the film goes absolutely crazy when the vampires turn in, but there's a particular scene that I really like where George Clooney's all fired up and just wants a fight in the nightclub, and Harvey Keitel has to talk him down. And it's very interesting because Keitel's the victim here. He's the one that's been kidnapped and his family held at gunpoint and he's the one talking this guy down <laughs> from doing something rash. <laughs> it's a brilliant film. John, I know you've seen it made. I don't think you have because you hate George Clooney. This yeah. movie would change it. George Clooney is fucking incredible in this. He's so good. The cracking cast all around, but I would I highly recommend it. John, you like it, don't you? 
Oh, it's a brilliant movie, yeah. I, I love the fact that it's like two movies in one. And when it turns from one movie to another, it's basically in the space of about five seconds. It, you just go, what What the hell just happened there? And it's just it just goes completely batshit. It's great, yeah. Can't recommend it highly enough. Really smashing choice. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> okay, my first choice is the 1996 film Ransom. It's directed by Ron Howard. The screenplay is by Richard Price, and it stars Mel Gibson, Rene Russo, Gary Sinise, Delroy Lindo, and Lily Taylor. It's basically the story of a couple who are out on a family day with their son, and he gets kidnapped. Initially, it follows the sort of standard protocols. They get the FBI involved, they get the police involved, they do what the kidnappers say when a drop of the cash fails due to incompetence and bad timing, it seems to change something within the main character of Tom Mullen. When the second drop is arranged, he decides that he is going to go on television and appeal to the kidnappers. What he does instead of appealing to the kidnappers is basically offer the ransom money as a reward for anybody that finds him. Totally turns the film on its head and it totally changes the way that the audience actually look at the main character and look at the the story as well it's just something that's a little different it works really well as a film it's a great mel gibson performance and it's one of these films that has rewatchability basically because of the cast gary sinise is absolutely fantastic and as a police detective he's a, a great actor Got a lot of time for him, a lot of stuff that I've seen him in. And it's just, yeah, a lot going for it. Have you guys seen it at all? I have seen it, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, mind you, but uh, I'm a fan of this movie for what I remember. I do recall there being quite a lot of focus on uh, the kidnappers themselves uh, Mm -hmm. from a character point of view, and they weren't just portrayed as cold-blooded evil people. I mean, obviously they're not good people and they don't try and hide that fact at all. It's very, very bad what they've done. Very finger-wagging bad. But they added a real depth to the characters that it it helps you invest in them. It wasn't just about uh, Mel Gibson's character. It wasn't just about the victims. It was... Yes, I really enjoyed this film. And I love the fact that it's really inspired one of my greatest memes whenever uh, it rains during the summer. People just post give me back my son. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I thought the Rene Russo character in it was really good because she doesn't agree with what her husband's doing. She's kind of actually quite shocked by it because he doesn't speak to her before he carries out a lot of his actions. And there's a real sort of tension there as well, which plays into it very nicely. I thought I'd seen it, but now that you've described it, I think I'm getting confused. I, I think I've seen the film Maverick. Which is not a kidnapping film at yeah. all, um, but it's actually good. It's, I think this sounds like I would enjoy this. I'm just a, a fanny that got confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I was so confident when you picked this as your choice. I was like, "Yep, I've seen that. I know that film." And then the more you've described it, I'm like, "No, I was thinking of something." And does it did star Mel Gibson? So I'm giving myself points for that, but just not the film that you've described. Yeah. 
just a, a, I never mentioned about obviously in the riverboat and the gambling, so that kind of <laughs> off a bit, yeah. That does sound like a film I would enjoy though, as I say, you know I love uh, you know I love Mad Mail. <laughs> um so my first pick, um I'm a huge fan of this director. It's a uh, 2013's Prisoners, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who's set to direct uh, Dune or is doing so at this current moment in time. I picked this film because it always leaves me really conflicted. I have watched this several times over um, and each time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm not happy with myself because I feel like I'm, I'm picking the wrong side, as it were. Um, this is kind of the story of like two kidnappings. So you've got Keller Dover, who's played by Hugh Jackman and his daughter goes missing. And then he sort of becomes a kind of vigilante parent and kidnaps a mentally disabled young man that he believes to be the the suspect or prime suspect in the the kidnappings uh, much to the chagrin of the police officer played by Jake Gyllenhaal so you've got these kind of two kidnapping storylines running side by side you've got you know the search for Keller's daughter and you know where could she possibly be and then you've got this kind of angry confused frustrated dad just trying to get his daughter back and thinking that somehow torturing this poor guy is, is going to give him the answers that he needs or will make him somehow feel better as a parent for you know allowing his child to go missing or however he sees it it's a film of really really good performances paul dano just breaks my heart in this every time and you've got people like as i say jake gyllenhaal viola davis melissa leo it's a really really strong cast and as i say what i like about it is it's a film that, that leaves me really conflicted um i think it kind of challenges you to think like who is the victim in all of this and, and what would you do if it was your child that was missing and it it definitely raises a lot more questions than it answers and i just think it's a really well shot thriller like a really excellent piece of cinema with really really strong cast i take it both you guys have seen it it was quite a big film when it was out do you know i haven't seen it but it's on my list on oh. netflix because uh, it's, it's been on my list for a while mind you and uh, i just keep looking going, oh i quite fancy watching this ah but two and a half hours oh they kind of subject matter i haven't been in the mindset it's an excellent film it's bleak as hell it really is i covered it for the site at the time, I think I did a preview piece for it, and it's just, it's one of these, like you say, it's one of these films you have to be kind of in the right mindset to watch it. It takes no quarter in terms of the the grief and the the way that it kind of makes your stomach churn at parts as well. It's a great film. It's a great choice, but it kind of falls into the character of films that I may never watch again. <laughs> oh, I see that's interesting because I've watched it several times over and that, I think that's why I like it because every time I come out of it thinking different things about it. So I've actually watched it quite a few times. I really like it. Although it is, as I say, grim as fuck. Mm. I know you meant that, but the way you said every time I come out of it, I just have this image of you having your own private cinema. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. I actually, I feel, I do feel really sad. I've, it's first world problems, but I do really miss going to the cinema. So I'd love if I had my own private one. This is the longest <laughs> day I've not been to the cinema in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest gap. Yeah. Thomas, your second pick. I went with Mark L. Lester's 1985 action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando. <laughs> Tells the story of, I mean, this guy's name, Colonel John Matrix. Right. Only Alan is going to get away with a character called John Matrix. Or Colonel <laughs> John Matrix, that is. But he finds out that members of his former unit have been killed by unknown mercenaries. 
and he's concerned that he's going to be next, but he's more concerned about his young daughter, played here by a very young Alyssa Milano. And obviously the bad guys turn up, they kidnap her because they want Matrix to go and murder some politician guy. The plot's literally non-existent, but Arne being Arne, is they going to go and do what they want? He decides to murder the bad guys and hunt the bad guys down who has his daughter with the intention of getting her back and murdering her. But he knows he's on a time limit. Really kind of adds uh, real stakes to the movie. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, the whole plot revolves around this kidnapping and hostage situation. The bad guy, played by Vernon Wells, is called Captain Bennett. And if you've ever seen a more camper villain in movies... Please let me know on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the usual social media. It looks like Freddie Mercury is a bad guy. <laughs> it looks like Freddie Mercury. He acts like Freddie Mercury. I almost, I don't know. I don't know why they just cast Freddie in this role. They're clearly were going for it. And me see Arnie kind of fighting one on one at the end. You kind of see was a bit like bullying. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the film's absolutely. I love this movie. It's one of my favorite uh, action movies. It's just Arnie on a path of destruction or delivering one-liners, including one of the best one-liners ever in movies, is he holds a guy over a ravine by the leg. Remember when I promised to kill you last? I lied. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it's great. And it's, it's interesting because there was supposed to be a sequel to this movie and the sequel would have been reworked as the movie we got instead, Die Hard. Oh, no way. Yeah. But it got reworked and made it a standalone film. At the time, a standalone movie. Uh, and we're all, I think we're all better for it. But yeah, this movie was um, supposed to have a sequel. It's a shame it never did because it didn't really merit one, to be honest with you, in terms of the plot. But it would have been good to see because, yeah, it's just a Sally doing what he does best. And yeah, I'm a, I'd recommend this film highly to anybody. you both seen it? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at the time of... Uh, I was actually living down the south side in the local video shop and I got about three or four Schwarzenegger films out at the same time and just watched them all back to back and they were all round about the same time. It was, And this was sort of right in the middle. It's just perfect. It's a great movie. It's stupid as hell, but yep, I thoroughly enjoyable and the body count in it's massive. <laughs> it's really, really big. I think that's my kind of problem with Extraction. I go back to it quickly. That see if Extraction was just a bit more sillier. Mm-hmm. I have enjoyed it more. And this yeah. movie has its kind of scenes where there's no action and it kind of does its exposition and stuff, but it knows it's just filler. It's not trying to add anything, any gravitas to the movie. It's just going, we need to put these scenes in to get to the next <laughs> the next head exploding. You're cool with that. Mm-hmm. You're cool with that because you know you know why this scene has its purpose and not try to be a drama. Mary, have you seen it? No, honestly, Simi, every time we do these podcasts, I feel like <laughs> my film education has been so lacking because I have never seen any of the films that you mention. Um, I mean, it sounds like I'd probably like it because I, I like Predator and that sort of thing. And it, it kind of sounds that kind of crazy balls to the wall type action that I would probably enjoy. Um, I would prefer Stallone over Schwarzenegger, but do you know what? I'll, I'll give it a bash at some point. I'll put it on the list. It's interesting because people always kind of compare this film with Predator based on a release within a couple of years of each other and um, like they're both just filled with like, testosterone and cheese, although but Predator <laughs> makes up for testosterone, Commando makes up for total cheesy one-liners. Uh, 
there's a, I mean, if this doesn't sell it, here's a series fighting Bill Duke, who, fair enough, I was also in Predator. Uh-huh. And Bill Duke goes, this, this Green Beret's going to kick your ass. And he goes, I eat Green Berets for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> this actually does sound like one of the best films you've ever recommended on this podcast, I have to say. You had me at Freddie Mercury villain. <laughs> <laughs> My second choice is the 2008 film Taken. So I'm obviously taking the, the high ground on this one, going all cultural. This is the film that basically redefined Liam Neeson's career from serious actor, apart from Star Wars, obviously, into <laughs> aging action star. I failed you. <laughs> it comes from the, the mind of Luke Besson, basically. It's his production company. He co-wrote it as well. Neeson is a former special forces agent who now is basically doing security stuff and he has a 17-year-old daughter. She goes on a trip to Europe with her friend and almost immediately manages to get herself kidnapped. She manages to make a frantic call to her father with a, a, a fraction, a scrap of information about one of the bad guys and from there he goes on the hunt using his particular set of skills <laughs> and his connections in order to track her down across European mainland, basically killing everybody that comes into contact with him. This film's daft. It's stupid, it's crazy, and it's very, very entertaining. I loved every single minute of this film. It's, it's not something that you should really spend a lot of time going into any great depth you just accept it for what it is it's a film that spawned two sequels and a television series so there must have been something there now obviously the the quality probably dipped a little but the entertainment value never really dipped it's just pretty perfect as far as i'm concerned the whole point of it is obviously the abduction of his daughter and why that actually forces him to do the things that he pretty much swore he would never do because it kind of broke up his family in the first place. Yeah, works for me. Really enjoyed it. I take it you both have seen this. Mary, don't yeah. disappoint me here. Oh. No, obviously I've seen it. Like, <laughs> that guy's got horns like shovels. Like, I am a massive Liam Neeson fan. Like, I want to see him kill as many people as possible. And I came out of it thinking, do you know, if that was me, you know, my dad is very, you know, jazz hands in, in camp um, I would be dead or I'd be sold to the highest bidder that would be it I'd be chained to a radiator somewhere and just left whereas he was like the best dad ever he was like able to take these little snippets of information track it it was just I think it was kind of one of those films that sort of came out on its own and there was nothing quite like it at the time and as you see it sort of revamped uh, Liam Neeson's career and it just became, I mean, it spawned like a million memes and all the rest of it like it's just a kind of phenomenon isn't it pretty much um I am a big fan of this film as well, which probably won't surprise anybody. Because <laughs> it's got trailer, sequels. <laughs> I was first in the trailer for this movie. Uh, it was Liam Neeson, and he's talked to his daughter on the phone, and I thought it was just going to be another Liam Neeson kind of drama. And then she gets kidnapped, and it's that, that iconic phone scene. And I was just like, inject this right into my veins. This looks awesome. I love a good, badass uh, movie speech. I'm not going to do it. And this is up there with them. It's excellent. It's a cracking movie. It's just 
90 minutes, however long it's on for, uh, just action. And it's good action as well. And it's ultra-violent, and it's just really kind of what I look for in a movie at times. I don't like the sequels that much. I thought they were terrible and really watered down. The versions of what the first one was, it was almost like, they're like yeah, cool. But whether it's a sequel, it's always kind of bigger and better. Like, from a spectacle point of view, this kind of went another way for me with the franchise. I haven't seen the TV series. I've seen a couple of episodes of it. It wasn't anywhere near as good, because obviously with episodic television, they have to do a wee bit more backstory and a little less action just to pad it out, because if it's just all action, you're just going to get equally as bored watching something like that as you would if it went the other way and it was just all exposition and family drama and things like that. But yeah, it was it was okay, but it wasn't anywhere near as the, the first one. It didn't have the same impact as the first film. I liked the way that the action as well, it was, it was age-appropriate for Neeson. He wasn't doing like loads and loads of really stupid stuff that you would expect maybe like a 30-year-old guy to be able to do. The kind of thing that Hemsworth mm-hmm. is able to do in extraction. It was tailored for him and uh, it didn't look he didn't look stupid doing it. He didn't look out of place doing it. By the third one, yeah, he kind of he was stretching a wee bit. Uh, the the editing saved him in several scenes. I remember I think there was one where he was uh, going over a fence. Yes. And they edited it in such a way that uh, it took a, <laughs> it was about seven or eight cuts for him to go over this fence. It's ridiculous, actually. I'm glad you mentioned it, because that's what I was thinking about there. It's a ridiculous scene, me see him going to climb over the fence, and it's just like, cut, 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 and you're like, he's climbing a fence! <laughs> yeah, I know, but he's in his... Dude must be in his 60s, climbing a fence is not the same. Don't have him climb the fence, then. Yeah. Yeah, have a hole in the fence. Hole in the fence, there you go. <laughs> oh, he could have just barged through it. He's got massive shoulders. <laughs> As well as as well as massive hands. <laughs> oh, on, like, honestly, seriously, if you ever watch a Liam Neeson film, pay attention to that guy's thumbs. They're like bigger than my entire palm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm ruining the mood now because I'm going for something a wee bit serious again. My second pick is 2015's Room, which is based on the book by Emma Donoghue and stars a. Uh, Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay. So basically, I seem to remember this being brought out kind of around the same time as like the Elizabeth Smart discovery or the Ariel Castro kidnapping. So I feel like it had quite a big resonance when it came out, actually. And I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of odd timing, given the the stuff that was happening in the news. So basically, Brie Larson stars as as a man. She's been trapped in this uh, room for uh, seven years. And during that time, um, her captor has got her pregnant and she's now got this son. And she basically kind of imagines this life for her and the sun and she tells him about you know trees and sky and birds and all this sort of kind of fake life that they have to build for themselves inside this room meanwhile she's obviously been held captive by this like odious uh, guy and what I liked about it was it's a film that actually does kind of take you on the whole sort of journey without sounding too cliched you know you've got the the imprisonment and then you've got the escape and then you've got the life after you know being in the room and Brie Larson like a her character goes on this massive you know sort of psychological uh, trauma you know she's actually adapted herself to this room and making the best life she can for her son and sort of her son knows nothing of the outside world so she has to kind of create this sort of imaginary 
life for him but then there's the sort of thrilling you know will they won't they escape kind of sequence and then obviously the the life that she has to build for herself afterwards and I, I thought it was really interesting um and I, I definitely think it was one that it kind of it went beyond your typical sort of kidnap drama because it was these kind of three distinct stages of her her life and how she reacted to both being in the room and being on the outside world um I just thought it was a really good solid drama and as I say it happened to kind of coincide with a couple of real life uh, kidnapping events say uh, that, that had hit the headlines which I think made it all the more powerful when it came out have you guys seen it at all yeah um I can't remember a great deal about it, to be fair. I know I have seen it. I watched it, I think I watched it on Netflix, actually. I love the premise of it. Uh, I remember being quite underwhelmed when I watched it, though. I think it was, like, I can't go too spoilery, but all the stuff in the room, so to speak, I thought was, was very well done in that. But after that, just kind of lost my interest, to be fair. Oh, I must admit, I didn't like her character once she was released back to her family. I was like, Christ, she's getting on my nerves. But I just, I like the kind of the different stages of her life. Yeah. Not seen it at all. It's one of these films that never really appealed to me when it was out. And I've never bothered to go back and revisit it. But by the sounds of things, maybe I should. Would you recommend it? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. Like, as I say, I actually didn't like her character once she'd managed to escape from the room and I found her quite bratty and annoying. But then I was actually like, you know, get a grip. She's been imprisoned for seven years. She's entitled to have a wee tantrum now and then. Like, that's okay. Um, but as, as I say, I think I just happened to catch it at the same time. There was a couple of kind of real life sort of discoveries of, of women who had been imprisoned for a long time. And I think that's why it kind of maybe hit home um, when I actually got around to watching it. I went with something a bit more serious this time. Nothing, no, I'm having a go at Commando. Nothing that's still done. They both have their places in my heart. But I went with um, Rob Reiner's 1990 Misery, based on Stephen King's novel of the same name. The movie stars James Cann as Paul Sheldon, an author who, after being in a car crash, is rescued by a nurse, and he walks played by the awesome, amazing Kathy Bates. Unfortunately for Paul, Annie is a massive fan of his work. And you think to yourself, well, that's good. But it's not, because not only is she a massive fan, she's a massive psycho. <laughs> she basically wants to keep Paul in his bed, injured, independent on her, for the rest of his life. However long that is, depends on her. <laughs> this movie's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, both Can and Bates are, are great. They've got an, an excellent chemistry. It's really creepy. Uh, it's harrowing. It's really the distraught feeling of dread of the whole movie. It's brilliant, though, absolutely brilliant. And I can't really say too much about it in terms of the plot. As if you haven't seen it, please watch it. And the, the interesting bit of film as well is Rob Reiner directed it. You know, it's a guy that I've always kind of like associated more with, with comedy movies or something kind of like, I know he doesn't stand by me, but you think of things like The Princess Bride and most notably Spinal Tap for him to direct a, a horror movie like this that's so tense and full of dread. But yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. I love this. I actually watched it again fairly recently and it still holds up very well, including this particular torture scene, which... If you haven't seen it, I'll just leave it at that. Both of you seen this film, yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another really interesting point as well was uh, it was 
the screenplay for it was done by William Goldman, who did the likes of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Marathon Man and uh, wrote the book. I don't know if you've read the book, The Adventures in the Screen Trade book. It's all about screenwriting. It's a fantastic book about basically how Hollywood works behind the scenes and how difficult it is to actually get anything done. It's really well written. It's a really good book. Film itself, aye, absolutely cracking. I've not seen it for a long time, but it's a vivid film for some of the reasons that you just lightly touched on there in terms of the horror aspects of it. Just really good. And I mean, I could watch anything with James Cannon in it. Let's face it, it's just one of these actors. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. The dynamic between the two of them is amazing because by rights, somebody like Kathy Bates probably couldn't or shouldn't overpower somebody like James Can because you think of James Can, you think of somebody really macho and really muscular. Um, the dynamic between them is amazing and there's so many moments where you're practically just chewing your knuckles off watching it because it's so tense. I love that movie. Really good. My last choice is the 2003 South Korean film Old Boy directed by Park Chan-wook and it stars Choi Min-sik as a businessman called Odisu who is imprisoned in a cell for 15 years for no apparent reason. He basically goes out one night, misses his daughter's fourth birthday party, gets drunk and when he's bailed out of jail he is promptly kidnapped put in a cell that's made to look like an apartment and he is left there for 15 years and just as he thinks he's about to escape from prison the cell he is gassed and finds himself free and from there he goes out and tries to find out what happened to him and why this happened to him in the first place this film is one of the sort of gateway films for South Korean cinema. A lot of people reference this as the film that sort of sort of got them in touch with uh, films from that area and the kind of style of it as well, the kinetic action sequences, the bloody and brutal violence, and the kind of the really pared down storytelling as well. It's a film that works on every level, great characters in it, great character development. And there's a particular sequence in this film as well where the film really gets his reputation. He's trying to escape from a building and all he has is a hammer to protect himself as he goes along. It's a fantastic piece of work. Loved it. Have you guys seen this? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm stunned into silence, the fact that Mary's actually seen it. Well done, Mary. I actually... <laughs> I that really, like, the shocks keep coming, I think, is the, the fair way to describe this film. But no, I actually really loved this. It was no surprise Chris that introduced me to this because he loves sort of Asian extreme. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then watched the Josh Brolin English language remake and I was like, they should never have done that. Yeah, maybe really good choice. It's not a movie it translates well to a Western audience in terms of its adaptation. It just doesn't work. I mean, it's a movie. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly faithful adaptation as well. It's not a bad, it's not badly done. It just doesn't work in, in the same way 
for me, it's a kind of campiness to the, the remake that I don't think really suited it. But the yeah. original is is excellent. I'm a massive fan of this movie. Uh, if I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, mind you, but if I recall, isn't the Hammer scene, uh, the Hammer fight scene, is that a one take as well? Is that a one shot? I think so, yes. I think it, yes. yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an excellent film, and I'm not going to ruin the twist if anybody hasn't seen it that's listening, but whoa! Didn't see yeah. that coming. I've got a, a nice presentation box that I bought uh, several years ago. It's the three films in the Vengeance trilogy, and it comes in this nice sort of purple shoe box. And there's actually a hammer in the box as well. <laughs> but they came with a warning saying, do not use this for hammering. It's just for display purposes only. <laughs> or, or, or any other thing you could do with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See the Vengeance trilogy, John. Is that Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance? It is, yes. Yep. I haven't seen Lady. I've seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but I haven't seen Lady Vengeance. It just popped up in Prime the other day and I put it on my list. But I keep meaning to watch it so I can just round it off. Yeah, oh, it's well worth watching. It's right up there with other two films. Yeah. I mean, I'm ending things on a, on a happier note, like really camping kitsch. Um, my last pick is the Stanley Donen 1954 musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> and I always feel ridiculous seeing this. But actually, it was the first film that popped into my head when um, I thought of kidnap movies. And it is, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's over the top. The the basic plot line is, you know, the Pontypee brothers, all seven of them, need some wives. And it starts off with... Um, Howard Keel's character Adam and conning Millie, played by Jane Powell, to come and live with him in this, you know, picturesque, you know, hill, mountain cottage as he describes it. And obviously, when she gets there, she realises it's a shit tip full of um, hungry, stinky men. Um, and she tries to sort of teach these brothers how to woo women and, and be genteel and all the rest of it. And what they decide to do is actually just go and kidnap remaining six uh, local women. Uh, for the rest of the brothers and they do it really cleverly they do it in avalanche season so that by the time the snow's all melted they're hoping that it's spring and that these women will have fallen in love with them and somehow have succumbed to Stockholm syndrome but as bad as that sounds it's set to this beautiful soundtrack and you've got all these sort of well-known songs like um sobbing women and going courting and bless your beautiful hide and that somehow makes all the kidnapping and screaming okay because it's all colorful and there's dance-offs and yeah, it's just, I love it. It's a great movie. And although it's obviously the message behind it is perhaps slight, slightly misogynistic maybe these days, but I just love it. It's, it's great. It's brilliant Technicolor. All these big strapping ginger guys kidnapping their brides. It's just, it's musical chaos. Nice, yeah. I haven't seen it. It seems a wee bit too camp. For, it's not got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. There are no guns. Like <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Um, it's not on my bucket list. Oh, it should be. It's a cracking film. It's really, really good. (laughs) It's one of these films that was a staple of sort of Saturday afternoon BBC Two television, and uh, it's just great. Is there a barn raising sequence in it? There is, and that's when the 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 townies, the town guys that are fighting with the the Pontypee brothers for the these women's attention. Um, But it's a good cast, as I say, Howard Keel and Julie Powell, and uh, you've got like a Julie Neymar, who went on to play Catwoman. Yes. And Russ Tamblin in it as well. Um, it's just, oh, it's, a, it's a classic, you know, big Technicolor musical. It, it really is good. Yeah, it does have quite dark undertones. <laughs> Kidnapping six women for the winter, you know. 
Yeah. Is this the seventh or fourteenth film in a sequel? Or <laughs> yeah. Oh, you just start with one brother and keep now. adding them on. <laughs> <laughs> you're hoping if you spin the chamber enough times, you're gonna catch a bullet. It's just easy that way. So those are our picks for abduction films. A very varied choice, I would say. What are your picks? There's so much to choose from. There's a, a vast catalogue of these type of films. Please let us know. You can get us at the usual places on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Movie Scramble. You can get in touch with us at podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. We would be very happy to hear what you think. The job is fucked, Tyler. Just find my money. Now, before we go, there's obviously not very much in the way of news at the moment, but there is a, an interesting piece of news that has come out of the States. The film chain AMC, which owns the Odin chain of cinemas in the UK, has said that it will not be screening any universal titles in the future. This is on the back of Universal releasing Trolls World Tour online as a premium rental, basically because it couldn't get into cinemas because of the lockdown. And the film has been a massive success as far as Universal are concerned. Uh, it's grossed well over $100 million. Now, Universal are particularly pleased with this because the way that things are set up at the moment they receive half of any cinema revenue and the distributors receive the other half. Now, with the online market, it's more in favour of the studios rather than the platforms themselves. So, obviously, they are quite happy with that model and they're looking to expand on it and sort of move that on in the future. Now, obviously, the cinema chains are up in arms on this. There's a traditional three-month period where between a film showing and it actually getting released on home formats, including online. So this is going to be a bit of a stushy, basically because AMC have now been followed by the Cineworld chain. And if you think about it, there's going to be a number of big films that are going to be affected by this, namely the Fast and Furious franchise and I believe the is the new Bond film being distributed by Universal as well I'm not sure, not sure if that is actually sure. the case but there are a number of films that are going to be affected by this over the coming months Jurassic, Jurassic World mm-hmm. yep. Fast and the Furious yep what do you guys think? do you think this is just a, a bit of a spat because there's nothing else to do or do you think it's the studios trying to renegotiate their deals with distributors. I feel like the cinemas are really shooting themselves in the foot because, like, audience numbers must be dwindling with the advent of streaming services anyway. And I feel like to really come down hard and say we're not going to show any movies distributed by Universal at all, I think, especially when you name something, you know, like Jurassic Park and Fast and Furious, films that people really look forward to. However... Maybe it might give independent chains the chance to pick up movies. I don't know if they would if they would do that or not. Um, that 
like I'm just thinking even like within Glasgow it literally is Sunny World or Odin or you've got your, your independence like um, the Grosvenor and the GFT and stuff like that so maybe they might pick them up and recoup some of the money that way that they would maybe normally miss out on but it it feels like a bit of a you know tantrum more than anything else I don't think it's going to be beneficial to cinemas to lose out on such big budget movies yeah I remember when um, the Hateful Eight didn't show so Cineworld didn't show the Hateful Eight I can't remember the reasons for it, but their cinema just weren't showing it. I had I went to see the showcase. I didn't have any showcase in years because I hadn't had to be. But I went uh, to see it. And showcase also offered a discount for Cineworld Unlimited members, which I thought was quite interesting marketing. And that's only an example of one film, a one-off kind of event. Going forward, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think it will happen, to be honest with you. I think... Uh, it's all, it's all very well universal saying we'll look at our figures based on us doing, us doing it with the Trolls film. No, didn't go to the cinema. Stuck in the house. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, but, they had a captive audience, didn't they? The kids had been sent home from school. Yes. Parents are, you know, either furloughed or working from home. That's an easy distraction, you know, plank your kids down in front of Trolls World Tour. I mean, come on, it doesn't take a genius to work out that the timing has actually suited Universal quite well with, with the landing of that. Yeah, it feels to me that Universal may have jumped the gun a little here and the cinemas have overreacted. I was right, by the way. Uh, Sony Pictures used to have the international rights to show or to distribute the Bond films, but that ended after Spectre. And it is now Universal Pictures who distribute it internationally, but not for North America. So that could be an interesting one if they basically stick to their guns and say, well, it will be shown exclusively at certain cinemas, certain cinema chains. People will go and see it. It's one of these films. Oh, 100%. I don't care how far I have to drive. I want to see Bond in the cinema. It's just not the same watching it at home. Can you imagine that happening? You know, the way kind of like uh, Xbox and PlayStation get like platform-only releases, like a certain game only come out for one mm-hmm. console. Is that just going to happen in cinema going forward, that certain films are only going to come out to certain cinemas? Mm-hmm. It used to, that used to be the case. Yeah. Certain cinemas had deals with... Uh, certain film studios and you got a film in one place but you didn't get it in uh, another for instance I, I always remember the Star Wars films always coming out in the Odin cinemas but they didn't seem to come out like at the, the ABC up in uh, Sucky Hall Street in Glasgow for some reason it, it was but that all broke down when cinema audiences started to basically vote with their feet and started to get things in home formats like video and uh, DVDs they had to rethink their whole model Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting going forward to see basically who blinks first on this. I suspect they'll come up with some sort of compromise, but there's a lot of money to be made when cinemas start opening up again. There is definitely a market for it, but yeah, there's going to be some tough negotiations going forward with this. And there's a thing with piracy as well. If you get a, a movie that instantly releases to on demand, it's going to be a lot easier to pirate that crystal clear ultra HD version of the movie. Mm-hmm. People are are going to just go and pirate bay and look for that whereas people might go i don't know if fancy watching this camcorder version of a movie you can see somebody going to the toilet halfway through yeah exactly um yeah i can't see this format working personally no obviously i'm not the head of a big massive studio so mm-hmm. would i know then again judging by some of the decisions people have made in these studios would they know I just don't think it's a feasible format going forward. And as you say, mate, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's work. May have worked for trolls based on all oh, the kids being off school. 
that's not going to hurt Lord forever. And people, at the point being with the kind of pirate idea, you go to the cinema to see a film and it's say it costs 11, 12 quid, you go to cinema pass, that's different. You're going to spend 11, 12 quid to rent a movie in the house? Nah, it doesn't feel like value for money. It doesn't feel like you're getting, the, I feel like you're paying the extra money for the experience. And also if like certain movies or franchises are going to be in certain cinemas, do they expect that everyone's going to get like, the equivalent of a Cineworld card or an Odeon card, like you're, nobody's going to be spending all this money on all these multiple memberships as well. Although we obviously do it for streaming services, but they're less expensive. It just seems like totally throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I have no idea why this has become a thing. I kind of disagree with you in terms of the money because they're charging. If they're charging fifteen pounds, say, to rent this as a premium rental, if you think about it, especially the type of film that we're talking about here with trolls. It's a film where you're going to take a couple of kids to, you're probably going to have two adults there as well. So before you even think about snacks, you're talking about 50 quid. So, and it's and it's one of these ones that you can watch it, you can pause it, you can do whatever you, you need to, you can watch it again. Because what happens with kids when they watch films? A lot of the time they watch it and the first thing they want to do is watch it again. So you've got that option there as well, because these rentals are over for over a period of time rather than just a one-off. So it works for those films. It might not work for everything. It might not. It probably wouldn't work for the likes of Fast and Furious film, for instance, because that is a spectacle film. It's a big screening experience. People want to see it in the cinema. So it won't be quite the same. But I think selectively, yeah, it could really work in their favour. Hmm, interesting. Interesting counterpoint. Motel. I genuinely think it's all kind of a moot point anyway. I don't think what will happen once things start to go back to normal. Or they'll trial it. Maybe for a while we'll trial it with certain releases. Test mm-hmm. the what I don't think of an outright blanket ban across the board. And uh, Yeah, it's interesting though. Times are changing. Certainly are. Okay. Get back to the cinema. <laughs> yes. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon, is it? But we shall get there eventually. So, that is it from this episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it and remember to like and subscribe us on your podcast app of choice. We do appreciate it. And as I say, give us feedback either online or uh, in the form of a review as well. We very much appreciate it. So thank you very much and we'll see you later. Cheers. Bye. The best thing you could do for that kid would be to put a bullet in his brain. We can send a chopper and get you out. But you gotta leave the kid behind. Are you gonna leave me in the street? <laughs> I'll get you home. <laughs>